Welcome to Sammy Joe's Podcast, the show that is all about gaining insights from top performers as they share what made their teams successful and translate those ideas into your everyday lives and businesses. Here's your host, three-time Olympian, professional speaker, author, and entrepreneur, Sammy Joe Small. Welcome to episode five of Sammy Joe's podcast, where I interview gold medal winning head coach and general manager, Danielle Sauvageau. Told she couldn't play when she tried to join her brother's team, she was forced to watch. Watching led to learning and helping, which led eventually to coaching. She pursued her other passions as well and was a member of the RCMP and Montreal Police Force for 24 years. She brought her learnings and strategy building back to coaching and managing, eventually winning world championship gold and an Olympic gold medal in 2002. After winning the gold medal, she turned her sights to building teams and organizations in other sports and corporations, taking a step away from hockey. However, the game drew her back and she returned to help build the Université de Montréal team to multiple U-sport championships, eventually serving as mentor and coach to the CWHL's Les Canadiennes de Montréal. Her latest project, Le Centre 2102, fascinates me the most. A center in Montreal for elite women's hockey players, we talk about its need, its impact, and how it will serve the future of the game. I hope you enjoy my interview with Danielle Sauvageau. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional Indigenous owners of country throughout Canada and pay my respect to them, their culture, and their elders, past, present, and future. All right, so 19 years after we won a gold medal, you, for me, are still frozen in time, kind of like a teacher. Um, (laughs) You still command my attention. Like, I feel like I want to sit up straight. And I still feel like I want to perform my best in front of you. So I'm, I am a little bit nervous for this interview, so bear with me. But I really, really appreciate you making the time to continue to support me all these years later. So welcome, Danielle Sauvageau. Thank you very much, Sammy. It is a pleasure and, and a privilege to, uh, to do the, the, this uh, podcast with you, that's for sure. Well, thank you. And I can't wait to hear some of your, your answers that... I know for me, writing the book, getting to reconnect with you again was really a special privilege. So um, I've tried to put some questions together that will um, uh, allow you to really show why I think you were so successful for so many years. So let's get right into it. Um, I don't know if you knew that in 1995, I was actually at school in um, near San Jose, uh, California at Stanford. And I dragged my roommates to the 1995, I think it was called the Pan Pacific Championship. That's at the right. Time. And that was your coaching debut with Team Canada. Is that correct? Uh, actually, I started a, a bit earlier than that, but this is when we started to put uh, what we called a coaching pool. And the Pacific ring, uh, Rim was part of uh, sort of evaluating us as well, but trying to get obviously the game uh, both for coaches as well as players to the next level. So I still remember that trip. That's for sure. It was like going to the beach during the day and then going to the rink at night. I thought that, you know, we wanted to do that forever. But uh, that's what led pretty me to much, Stanford. you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that I, I could I could understand why. But I, I started like in 92 with the, ta- the national team as, as a scout, actually. And, uh, you know, like trying to scout the best player here in Quebec and trying to push like what we thought it was uh, the players that could uh, uh, crack up the lineup on, on Team Canada. And I started to work with uh, building what became 
the under 19, uh, which became the under 22, and then the uh, U18, U, uh, and then U16. U so yes, as a scout, um, one of my role with the uh, in '95 was to also taking care of the of the goaltenders, uh, believe it or not. I don't mean to uh, laugh. And, uh, well, uh, you could laugh when I think about that. That's pretty amazing. But so that was what Leslie I have Redden. Done, was Leslie Redden was on that team, right? I remember watching. Uh, her. Leslie and, Redden and was Menno? on that team. The Menon Rayon was on that team, and we had. Uh, you know, like upcoming players as well, and uh, not not players, but goaltenders. And uh, I had done my, at the time, we had five levels to do that. And obviously, there was no women doing their levels at the time. But I always loved to learn. And I always thought that if I had all those levels, they couldn't tell me, well, you know, you don't have what it takes. No, no, I had it all. Then it became, well, you didn't play in the NHL and so on and so forth. But uh, for me, when I did my level five was, it's kind of almost a master. I did it on goaltenders. How do you train? How do you know the, the vision and all this and got into working with Dr. Vickers on high hand coordination? Uh, so for me, I was like, I wanted to kind of separate myself from, from the others. And that is why I got into uh, being more trying to learn about goaltenders and trying to create the best environment that I could based on obviously where I was coming from. Interesting because I see you as very meticulous and that attention to detail, which really is what makes great goaltenders. And uh, maybe you should have been a goaltender in your past. Who knows? Oh, maybe <laughs> if I, if I would have had, you know, the chance to play, uh, again, I, I grew up in, in De Montagne. There was no rink. Uh, you, you know, we were playing like now with COVID, all of us end up on those outdoor rinks. And when I went to St. Eustache with both of my brothers to say, hey, we are here to play hockey, they say they could, but you can't. And, and because of that, you know, this is where I, you know, I said, well, can I help? And they say, well, bring the water bottle to the bench. And seriously, Sammy, I believe that this is what brought me to the Olympics because I was like, end up on the ice, end up you know, uh, listening, observing, trying to find things. So, and I always said that a coach at the end of the day is there to make do things and not trying to do it. So for me, I didn't see the fact that I did not play, obviously at that level uh, was for me a, um, you know, like a, a demeanor, if I, I, if I may say that, that that way. And we see it with Gretzky. I mean, he tried to coach, couldn't coach. So because of that, I, I needed to be on details. I, I needed to be efficient in everything that we were trying to put together. Well, I won a uh, gold medal uh, filling water bottles. So I think that... <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I think when you... Mine. <laughs> but it is true that when you... And as a backup goalie and as a goalie in general, you know, you play sometimes, you don't play sometimes. But when you have that opportunity to watch, it, it is different. And you're doing whatever you can to help. And you're trying to find your place. You're trying to find your role. Um, when you first started actually coaching when you were younger and helping, what did you really love, love about it? Did you love it? Did you wish you were playing or did you sort of find this new role um, helping and elevating others? I think that I accepted very quickly that I knew I was not going to, uh, to, to play in a sense, organize hockey. And I continued to play as much as I could based on, you know, uh, other leagues or other way to, to play. 
But I think it, it, it is a great question because now it brought me back exactly where I was when I was told you cannot play. And uh, no, I think that, okay, this is it. Now, what can I do? And uh, finding solution. And when I look at my path, being a police officer or a hockey coach or a mentor, it's finding solution and asking great question for people to find their way to see how they could have an impact. So I think it became very quickly that if I wanted to, uh, and at the time, I did not know that there was going to be a world championship. We did not know at the time that we were going to go to the Olympics. So the passion of the game was generate, you know, like uh, watching men's hockey and imagining us like being a Jean Beliveau or Guy Lafleur, or later on, obviously, the, this, this is probably players that you don't know, but it, it was the same I, I thing know. as, you, you know, uh, the, the passion of the game. And that, that is probably the reason why I, I'm still around, so to speak. But I think for me, it was like, how could I put the environment or, or building program that I couldn't get? And my mom is a single child. She lost her mom at the age of four. And I think that we learned, the four kids, that you could give what you have not received. And I think that this is why and this is how I got involved in women's hockey is to find ways because what we have today, even if for me it doesn't change fast enough, uh, we came a long way. As a young coach, did you gravitate towards certain types of coaches? I know for myself, I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada and just watch the goalies. And then I would go check out books from the library and I would just read the books about these goalies. Was there coaches you you emulated? Did you find role models? Like, did you at where did you have people you could ask questions to? How did you learn really about how to do that? Well, mostly men's coaches because you know part of the coaching uh, coach coaching pool at the time. You know when we talked about myself, Karen Hughes, uh, Shannon Meller, Melody Davidson. Uh, that was it. You know, we come, we, we did not know each other and we were doing stuff and although Mel came, came a little later, but you know, we were trying to find ways, uh, obviously, but for me growing up in Montreal, Scotty Bowman was, wow, the, the man, right? And I still remember when I first met him in Chicago with the national team and I was sitting at his desk and he walked in and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to disturb you. And I said, well, this is, this is Scotty Bowman. I'm sitting on this, this chair, right? This is your desk. No, no, I have two, two. I have, I'm also the general manager, so I have two offices. But I said, well, w- would you like to sit down? Because for sure we want to ask you a question. So without knowing, the first time I met him in person, I thought that I knew him. And he is actually from Verdun, where I'm sitting right now at the High Performance Center in, in Montreal. And, and so for me, this is the, the without knowing, it was, it was a mentor uh, I learned to, to you know, I, I know his tricks. I was talking to former player that played uh, for him. So I want to say that this is, uh, this is a man that I look up to and Claire Drake that you had the privilege to, to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claire, the passion for the game. Uh, you know, I still have the notes that he, he was giving us every, after every practices. And when you talk about details, when you talked about just, you know, the timing of doing these things, Claire Drake is, is, uh, is, was an amazing mentor for, for the, the national team, more than the players could realize because he was working with us, trying for, for us to work with you. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do here with our coaches. 
you know, I, I basically skate around the players and watching Poulain trying these, you know, different <laughs> things. The goaltender, you know, trying to, you know, like rationale, rationale the game and all that. But working with coaches, I think I've learned that from, from Claire Drake and, and uh, Scotty Bowman. Well, the one thing I, you know, you, you talk about Scotty Bowman that I didn't know about him prior to those times in, it was in Chicago we saw him, right? Um, That's right. Was that... Well, first, actually, had, not in Chicago, in Detroit. In sorry. Detroit, so yeah, he had his Detroit. gardening gloves. Yes. He came on the ice with us very briefly. He had his gardening gloves on, and he could barely skate. I mean, in fact, you were probably ten times the player that he was. Yeah. You know, and that surprised me that this amazing coach hadn't played. And in my mind, that was the first time that I really saw that it it isn't about the skill you have as a coach. But what you were able to do was to utilize the people around you and use the skills they had so that you were more of a manager. And that's what I saw Scotty as is, you know, how can I get the best from each person? And so I'm not sure if that's what you took from Scotty Bowman, but I, I certainly see the similarities between your two coaching styles that way. Well, when you want to create the best environment, you have to look at who could teach the best, who could get this and, and then putting things to get together. I could recognize, you know, in detail what a player do um, does for, for skating, for, you know, like positioning for and, and, and shooting and all that. But I'm not, I'm certainly not the best player, uh, the best person to, to show them. So why not using the best for that? And, and mark my word, I believe that in 10 years from now, the head coach will not be on the ice at all during training. Because again, that's another it's behind the bench. You could be the best skilled coach in the world, but how are you going to manage under pressure your bench? And that is a, another skill set. Uh, so, and this is where most probably to your point, I think this is what Scotty Bowman was, was great about. And uh, at the end, you want to have the best around you in order to, to bring your team and the players to the next level. Well, and all these elite teams now have skating coaches, they have goalie coaches, they have um, all the other aspects, skills coaches. Um, so really managing, I think, was maybe something that you brought to the game well before most other coaches did. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the 2002 Olympics and managing that team leading into it. And I know that you had to raise funds for us to be able to go to Valcatier to be able to train on the, the military base. Um, not only did you have to raise the money, but you really had to battle with Hockey Canada to allow us to have that training time. So can you talk a little bit about um, perhaps the challenges that it took then to be able to elevate us to that level? Um, because I think you kept a lot of that from us, uh, which we are grateful for, um, but it wasn't easy. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, like... Um... I had just done like uh, a series of interview here in, in Quebec and we were in the, with the national team, we were like between two. And so I had, a, I, I have done a, a series and then Dan O'Neill, who was the president of Molson at the time, uh, called me and he says, well, could we, could we meet? And I said, well, the only time that we could possibly meet is probably today because I'm on a plane tomorrow morning at 6.30 and I won't be back for a while. So if you want to meet in person, that, that is the time. So we met and, and then what he wanted to do at first was to, to give us money if we were going to win gold. And I said, no. And I always going to remember him looking at me like, this is probably the first time that someone's telling me no for my, you know, giving, right. like receiving money. And I said, we don't need them. If we want to get there, we need it now. 
And he asked me, like, how, how would you use the money? And for me, it was very easy. At the time, we didn't have cell phones. So I don't know if you remember that, but it was to get like those phone card to call home. Yes. Uh, meal card in meal order cards to go that we to could, UFC, yeah. to, to mm -hmm. eat properly, to have the parents coming to the Olympics. Having computers for all the staff to be able to track the game and analyze the game, to have Karen Hughes more often, to have a goalie coach that was coming from Dave, coming from Toronto. So he, I just went and he says, okay, now I kind of know what you want and what obviously you don't have. So he says, put me a plan, put a plan together and send it to me. So that night uh, I put a plan together. It was a two, uh, you know, two pager. And I, I did just describe what I just did. And at the bottom of the, uh, you know, the page, it was like $272,000. And I said, oh, the guy's going to say, are you out of your mind? And, and then should I talk to Hockey Canada or not? But hey, we, we having, I don't know if it's going to work. So maybe they, they should be happy if that happened. And if it doesn't, well, you won't, they won't know. Kind right. Of it's extra but money. Me, right? that, yeah. Yeah. So I pressed play. And then just, just before I went, I was going to Halifax. And then when I land, we didn't have those cell phones, got to my hotel mid morning. And then, yes, that was the, yes. So I said, damn, we didn't ask for enough because I should have you asked for got more. more. <laughs> and uh, so that's how we got uh, for the services. So for me, it was about services, like creating this, this environment, bringing more details to our game, more people around it in order for, at the end of the day, for, for you, the players. And then, as you know, he walked into the dressing room after we won gold. And now he, he basically walked by me and he says, now you cannot tell me no, because you cannot say anything. And this is when he announced that he was going to give you uh, the players a check of 20000 so $500,000. So this is what he had in mind when we And you met. did not was, know that prior. You I did not know that prior. Wow. So at the end of the day, we got three quarter of a million. So I've learned that sometimes you have to say no. You have to, you know, say this is not, it doesn't fit with the value of what we're building. Uh, and I didn't want you or us as a team to go for price money. We needed to create the, you know, the environment to have the best performance. And that was going to come if it had to come. So that's, you know, the story be behind it so obviously when you know hockey canada find it they say why well, you didn't talk to me about it and i remember i don't know if you remember the the back of fowler bauer arena there was a stair there and i was yes. sitting there and i said i think i just lost my job trying to get money <laughs> and at the end i asked myself the question if if that happens so be it because my intention was obviously genuine and i was trying to get you uh you know like the program hockey canada and then obviously you know the rest he stayed uh within hockey canada he, he stayed around and he became a champion of the game so that's my my short story with that now that he passed away uh it was like oh boy yeah you know so and we kept in contact over the years and talking about different things and uh so that was that that was for us like i i think adding those services i believe i truly believe that it made a difference this episode brought to you by Armstrong and Small Eye Care Center. Their eye care center's mission is to provide compassionate eye care in Winnipeg, Manitoba by a dedicated team of professionals using the latest technical and medical equipment. Started by my grandfather, continued by my father, and now run by my brother Luke and his wife Gina. Their optometrists have been telling people what their eyes say about them 
for over 100 years. That's a lot of eyes and a lot of experience. Well, and I think what it did was it created the foundation for the team for generations. It, um, you know, I, I can remember joining the team in 98 and entering the dressing room and there being free gum and being so excited that there's free gum and having no expectations. Um, after 2002, um, you provided, you know, the coaching staff and the Hockey Canada provided us with so much um, that all we had to worry about was hockey. And from that moment forward, I think it changed. That changed the program. And I think that that's, you know, ultimately why there was success for the next four years is that foundation of belief that it is the holistic hockey player, not just the person showing up on the ice. Um, you coached that year, coached us to a gold medal. Uh, what would you say was maybe the hardest part of coaching that national team? Was to, um, to, to, to keep the belief going, you know? Uh, again, we were not going to win a medal in November, December, or January. And, and, and what we forget is that in, after 98, because Team USA won the goal, they pretty much stayed centralized for four years. And as you know, we were not. We continued to have the Four Nation Cup, uh, even the Three Nation Cup one year, to have different camp. Uh, and, and we had our club where, team still, right? That we could still play that's with. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, trying to, but it was not at the, the training level, the off-ice level. And a year prior to the Olympics, I remember we were in, in Denver and I asked Steve Norris to come with us. Steve Norris was our uh, strength conditioning, a physiologist, had never played a hockey of his life. And I said, come with us because I would like you to tell me what you think about Team USA. And when we came back, he says, no way. You're, you, we, we need to start now if we want to possibly be at the level that Team USA is. And, uh, and I said, yeah, but there's a world championship coming up in three months. And I remember meeting with Bob Nicholson and uh, Bob said, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I totally agree. You're going to change the training. They're probably going to be overtraining by this, by April. I agree with all this. You have a plan. Go for it. Stood up. And I, just as I, I was getting out of his office and he says, oh, by the way, coach, you still have to win the world this year. And I said, okay, like, how are we going to manage that? But we changed. And I said, if we want to win gold in a year, we need to start now. And this is what it was hard to manage starting you know, 14 months prior to the Olympics to say we need to, to keep going because when things are not going well, result-wise, it's easy to, to change path. And I, I kept saying, we, you know, for a moment of pleasure, meaning winning a hockey game now, we're not to jeopardize our, our happiness. And I, and I kept saying that to, to, to my, even if at one point I said, am I the right person to to coach that team or to, to put the team together or is, is that vision's going to work? So that was the hardest to say it's a big puzzle. Our house not going to be as, as big as Team USA, but we're going to be ready in February. And until then, we need to keep working on things. And as you remember, we lost so many games because of their power play. We worked so much on our, you know, but again, there was so much going on behind closed door that you, you know, you don't share all of this. It's impossible to share hours of meeting 
into a meeting with the players, a 15 minute meeting. So of course we were trying to, and again, I started, you know, I said, we need to develop autonomy. We need to develop responsibility. We need the players to take charge because at the end, I cannot carry the puck. I cannot pass the puck. So the decision they're going to make on the ice, we need to develop that. Uh, that's why at the beginning of the year, I remember players were saying, well, it's like a hockey, uh, you know, hockey school. We do so many things, so many volume. Yeah, but after that, we're going to put it into a system. I did not know it was going to work, but that's that for me was, you know, we're climbing a mountain, but stop looking up. Just look at the next step. And for me, that was the hardest, the hardest to know if I, but you need, you know, when we talk about belief that things going to be okay, this is the closest that I needed to say it's going to be okay, but we need to continue towards that. We cannot change the plan. And you had conviction, right? I mean, had we lost in 2002, um, it sounds like you still would have done the same thing. You still would have had that ultimate belief that what you were doing was on the right path. And um, did you communicate that with the leadership crew? I mean, I think what we what made us really strong also in 2002 was this this amazing leadership core that we had through Cassie and and Haley and Vicky, and they just complemented each other very well. Did you make a conscious effort to think about their personalities coming together and how they were kind of forward facing presenting to us as well? That, that is another great question because obviously convention, you know, like that's the right word actually, but uh, and I should say what I believe and how we were going to, you know, put the plan together. Sometimes it's hard to explain, even if you put the right document, you know, it, it's like seeing things in your head that you cannot even express or, or put on paper. And what I believe, though, is that because of the differences in, in their trait of personality, they were going to reach the room. They were going to, within them, they were going to reach, to continue in their own way, in their own words, with their own action, to make sure that the team was going to, uh, to, to come together. And as you know, we had, you know, different trips for different reasons uh, being planned. And, and then we went to Emerald Lake. And Emerald Lake was for the players to glue, to, to be like away from almost you, um, you know, I, I think that I've seen, uh, I've seen the team together at meal, we put things together, but this is where, what we want. But again, it's, it's trial and error because you don't know how the players will, will take that responsibility to increase the autonomy of, of the team by itself. So I want to say yes, probably if we were having a panel, they would say, well, you know, I'm learning things today because I do learn even 19 years after uh, different uh, meetings that you guys had. And, but again, this is beautiful. At the end of the day, um, you know, you win as players a gold medal. Well, I think that we just I mean, put the, I think the team together. wins. Ultimately, the team wins. But the, um, you know, that you could have made a lot of different choices when it came to leadership. But the fact that you had three really distinct personalities, I think you're right. It reached the room. Um, you know, Haley led with her ability to have that intensity to work hard and uh, us want to be as good as Haley. Um, Cassie was that person that would stand up at the room and motivate you. And then Vicky was making sure that everybody was having a good time. So the three of them really complimented each other so well. Um, we went out um, and obviously in that game, there was a lot going on um, and tons of penalties, as you remember. Um, 
and ultimately you coached us to a gold medal victory. Um, that moment probably still, you can probably still picture that moment because I still can picture what I was doing in that moment. Um, but tell us what happened when you came home. And, you know, I, I think that when you achieve a pinnacle of success early in your career, and it really was early in your coaching career, what, what happens after that? And why did you ultimately step away from women's hockey after that? Well, uh, I was 39 years old. So yes, I was, uh, I was quite young in a sense that, you know, I, I could have kept going. Uh, but again, for me was that that is the objective is to create an environment that I wished uh, that it would have continued because I had created UB in Calgary, Toronto and Montreal. And this is only this year that I feel like this, this a center is, is coming back to life kind of thing. But when I came home, I had a, like the biggest decision to, to make. I, I couldn't continue to work 80 hours a week. Uh, I couldn't continue to take sabbatical month and, and year to coach at the Olympics for my police uh, career. I had and have to move years. your whole life to Calgary, right? That was to, to Calgary, yeah. which which would have been okay in a sense. But then, you know, you're you're single. You kind of say, okay, now what? You know, like I have policing and I have hockey, and now if I want to have like a, a personal life uh, between the two. How could I continue to obviously live my passion? And, and I was not getting paid that much. So that's another, you know, when you go back, you're going to say, well, I could have continued. But then you have 16 years in policing and you're going like this. You know that you could achieve. And, and policing is another world is passionate, is helping people, is putting strategic plan together, is, is democracy. And then you have hockey that you love, but it's like, not a job yet. It's not at the level that we know now. So that's why today, sometimes it's hard for me to understand or to accept that, you know, a young coach says, well, I don't really get paid that much. Hey, you know what? Uh, that is twice what I used right. to make as the national and GM of the national team program. So that's, that's the decision I, I made. And, and again, for me, I knew that when I took this chair and I, I said that to Melody Davidson, I know that she was competing against sort of me in a sense, in a healthy way to be the head coach. And I said, don't worry, after 2002, after the next Olympics, I've been there for two Olympics already. I've been there for almost 15 years with the national team. If we lose, easy, I'm out, fire, bye-bye. But if we win, I'm going to say, now what? How could I get myself to the next level and make sure that people is going to live what I did and helping, truly helping the next generation. And this is where I think I believe that Mel said, okay, this is, I might have a chance to take your seat when, obviously, after the 2002 Olympics. So uh, th that was it. I didn't talk to many people about it. I remember Bob Nicholson says, could, could we go for lunch? We would like you to, to move. And I said, right now, uh, I'm going to go home and let's reconnect. Looking back, I, I, I should have waited a little longer, uh, not necessarily to stay as a head coach, but to stay connected with Hockey Canada and preserve what we have built. Because I think that there was a gap there of three, four years, and we, we kind of lost. And again, I, I don't want to point out anything. It's just that, you know, again, when, when you know you had developed uh, different relationship with coaches across the country, Ken Dufton is one of them, just to continue to, to build that 
and then parallel stay with the national team. But as you could imagine, I was uh, tired, um, sick. Actually, I had had two pneumonia, pneumonia going through the 2002 Olympics. So I was quite low in my energy. But that, that's the only thing that I would have stayed a little longer or, or to stabilize that and accompany the next coach. Um, but then one morning I, I got up and I said, well, I, I should just basically said, say to, to Mel or whoever, this is the path and I'll be there. I always said since day one, I'm a phone call away. Well, your life has certainly taken so many twists and turns. Um, since then, you've been involved in seven Olympic Games, which is pretty incredible, with various different sports. You ha probably have learned so much through all those For different sure. experiences that you've had. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into your new venture, which sounds really exciting. But I first, I just want to backtrack to, you mentioned Ken Dufton, who was my coach for a long time. Um, you know, he speaks so highly of you and you two are complete opposite ends of the spectrum, but you guys worked so well together. What do you, what do you think um, really made that partnership work? And uh, what did you look for in coaching staffs when you were putting together your team, essentially? Uh, we have to go back to 99, actually, when I was named head coach in, in 99. And this is where uh, we started to do individual uh, evaluation feedback with Karen and, and Ken. But when Bob Nicholson at the time asked me, he says, who would you like to, to coach with? Karen and, and Ken came up right away. And why Ken? Because every time that we were coaching against we were just going at it. And, you know, imagine. it was like, okay, what does he do? And what does he do to develop? Like, you know, you, you had like upcoming players for years. Every year was like, okay, what is he doing? And I did not know him. And I said, he does something that I want to know what he does in order to be so successful. And I wanted him, even if we knew that we were going but. We're seeing things in a different light. And for me as a police officer, if you could see a situation with two different angles, well, there's a plus. So I wanted to have these people around me that were not seeing, thinking, and, and even appreciate things in the same way because we were going to be, and we, that was an amazing year. We brought back gold um, to, uh, to yeah, the 99 uh, Finland World Championship. With, at the time, the youngest team Canada at that particular time. Now, I, I don't know who, his, uh, who has been or which team has been the, the youngest. But we, and I remember that I thought I was there for four years. And then we were uh, asked to go to Calgary for a debrief. And then I, I flied, uh, I flied in uh, uh, one day earlier. And then they told me that, you know, they wanted me to, to, to work with the under 22 team. And they wanted to try other coaches. And I said, no, 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 Me, I thought I was there for four years. And then I said, I'm going back home and I'm going to think about what I'm going to do next. So when I arrived at the airport, Ken and, and Karen arrived and said, where are you going? Uh, we thought you were there yesterday. So I'm going back home. And I told them about that. And for them was, I cannot believe it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we don't even want to be part of this program anymore. And I said, don't worry, I'm just going to rethink about, and obviously I'm going to believe that what they just told me, that they're going to rethink about it in a year from now. And this is when I coached junior major uh, on the on the men's side. With, so the, the, with the rocket, was, is that correct? With, with the, the rocket, rocket. Yeah. yes, that's right. So the experience was amazing. So, you know, again, go back. I cannot coach this team. 
what else could I do in order to get to the next level? And for me, it was not to go to the under 22 team, was to go to the next level. And then I came back. And then they told me who I was going to coach with was Wally as well as, as, as Melody. And I, I brought back Karen at one point uh, in the process with Dan O'Neill, obviously, uh, support. So what made us a good team? It's because we respect each other. I believe that we had some sort of success with both of our team with different traits of character. But the two, plus Karen, we, we had fun. We were able to talk to each other. We didn't have any filter. We didn't have any grudge. It was the way it was. And, and I think this is what helped to bring a team together is, is what you don't have, you have to have it on your team. And you have to have the number one value is loyalty. What I tell you, it's my, I have good intention and vice versa. And I think that as a coaching staff, we had that with Karen and, and Ken. Well, what Ken built in Toronto was light years uh, ahead of everything else in women's hockey. And you're right. He really put together a program um, starting with a junior team. I can remember when I joined the Arrows and it was all about fair and equity equitable ice. And I thought, you know, what kind of elite program is this? Um, but ultimately he had the belief in each individual and he developed each player. I can remember uh, Haley Irwin coming in as a 16 year old and she's there, she's playing power play next to Jennifer Bottrell. And he just, he developed, you know, and that was one thing that I think was so great about him at the time and why he was so successful. But now that's exactly what you're, you're doing um, in, in Quebec. So tell us about the Centre 20.02. Is that how you say it? 21.02? I know 2102. That that's, the, that's the day we won the gold medal. So I love the name. Um, but tell us a little bit about what brought you back into women's hockey at this point in your life and what you're hoping to build uh, in Montreal. Well, I, I never left the game in the sense that, you know, in, in 09, I, I built and started the uh, Montreal University program, a French university program. I believe in youth sport. You know that. I cannot, you know, talk enough about the, the youth sport and keeping our player here in, in Canada. And then within 10 years, we're, we're try twice. I mean, we won two gold medals. And then, like about four years ago, I, I was working with Meg Ewins, that you know, the GM of Les Canadiens, and, and trying to, you know, kind of be a mem, mem uh, you know, a mentor behind closed door. I need, I, you know, I was watching games, but I did, I did not need to be right there. And then when they had a change of, of coaches, uh, I came back because, you know, in, in many ways, uh, nobody wanted to coach. So I said, well, let's bring possibly Caroline Wallet. I'm going to help her. I want her to, to lead. I want her to make those mistakes. I want her to experience the game, to feel the game and all that. And then, as you know, the league went, I don't know where. I still don't know why. <laughs> I still don't and, know why, uh, right? Yeah. That, that, you know, that's, uh, and, and then I said, well, I think that's the perfect time to bring back, uh, you know, a dream project, which is a high-performance center. And in order to do that, I really wanted to be recognized by the government because like other sport, and this is where my experience with other sport brain brought me to a high performance, like short track, speed skating, water polo. These are, are not centralized, but they have, you know, training center across the country. Swimming is one of them. So I said, we're going to create one in Montreal here that even if the professional league comes back, uh, 
it's not all our players that will be able to play at that level. So it's like the farm team of the Montreal Canadian. And this is when I knock at the door of Jeff Molson. He says, this is great because obviously it's a far, farm team for the next level, keeping some of our university player within the process in order to play uh, eventually pro. So this is what I wanted to put together. So of course, I said, it's going to happen like this, but uh, you know, trying to find fun, uh, uh, you know, partners uh, that's going to believe in a project that does not exist that it's not there, that has not been, you know, uh, created across the country. But yeah, Jeff Molson was there, the, you know, the government, the INS, which is the uh, Sport Institute of Quebec. I needed to have the recognition of Hockey Quebec, which is a member of Hockey Canada. As soon as I had that, well, obviously this is when it, it went on and we have now Sun Life and VFL as a funding, uh, like main funding partner, which is great because in order... To, to create those, you need to have a champion that like Dan O'Neill. And uh, so, the, you know, the president of, of BFL and the president of, of Sun Life are great champion of the game, believing in a project that, you know, it's hard to understand. And you also have the, the, the PW, which is a voice trying to knock at doors to create like a league. But in, in the meantime, even if you play three, four, five showcases a year, you need to train five days mm-hmm. a week. You need to be on ice, off ice, having the camera, having the video in place. So for me, it's like a mini centralization. And now we have uh, 28 players because of COVID and we haven't stopped being on the ice, even if uh, most of, you know, most of the people across the country cannot be on the ice. Full so time. it's for carded athletes. And what, what uh, is that right? It's for carded athletes. And what do they, what do they get? What is the system entail? So, yes, to be on the ice five times a week, having skill coach for, you know, D, forward and, and goalie. We have our own dressing room. Right now we have five dressing room, obviously, but th- this is a home for women's hockey. Uh, the plan is done to uh, build a gym uh, to possibly have those, you know, machine off ice machine to do puck handling and all that. We'll have a system the camera that we could track, obviously, individually and so on and so forth. We'll have our own little clinic. Uh, so it's like a mini, uh, again, centralization. So now we are in phase one, which is like the ice, the dressing room. And as soon as we could get uh, people in to build the, the rest, we'll do. And hopefully it's going to happen over the summer. And yes, carded athletes and the uh, carded athlete and the next gen. So we want to work with university in order to bring on the ice their best player uh, over the summer. And we want to go even, uh, not lower, but younger than that in order to say, to bring kids here uh, with skill session at the age of 12, you know. So the next best gen, obviously. So this is where we want to do. Uh, Quebec is the second biggest province in Canada and women's hockey, we're fourth right now. And uh, I'd like to know why. And I don't like to have it there. So that is part also to increase the numbers of hockey player in this country increase the elite player at this country and obviously to create uh, and to be the foundation of a professional team. Well, you envisioned uh, in these hubs in 2002 and you're, you're getting to finally create it. So that must be really exciting. But what I love about it, it is, um, it is unique in this country. Uh, you know, I, I think back to the Toronto Arrows organization, we had that. And at times going to national team camp, 
there'd be 15 of us going to national team camp. It was just, that was the expectation was that elite level. Um, the Calgary Oval Extreme had that um, under Shannon Miller and had a real program that would pull people away from all these different provinces. And I saw that you guys are starting to do that as well. And so it's, it's shown that um, getting to play with elite players matters and getting to be in, the, in that environment matters. I saw Kristen O'Neill from here in Oakville um, just up and moved uh, because it was a chance to get on the ice every day. And That's in right. the world that we're in, in women's hockey right now, um, there's a lot of uncertainty, as we both know. Uh, but what I love is that you're bridging the gap. You're building those bridges so that um, whether it's both sides, both parties, whatever you want to call it in women's hockey, can have those conversations. And that sometimes those conversations happen in the dress room. That's where the players are going to figure it out. And so you're providing that opportunity. So once again, you're leading, um, and I wish you nothing but success uh, with, is it La Centre 2102? La Centre 2102 uh, for yeah. the date, 21 uh, February 21st, uh, 2002. Uh, so that's why we just kept 2102, and uh, basically we're right into it. So, But I promise that you're going to be invited when we're going to officially uh, open, open the centre. Uh, now this, you know, uh, for the last uh, week or in the next week or so, we'll celebrate the name. And in order to, to get out there and, and have people know that, and you're right when you say that Toronto did that many, many years ago. And I was with Shannon when we created the Oval. And now being, you know, uh, part of the, 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 the system, the, the sports system, being recognized, being uh, able to receive money from, from the government, this is where I believe that it will stay a little longer and will. And you're you're recreating will. it. I mean, those two centers, yeah. Toronto and Calgary, don't exist anymore. So you now are the leaders, and I look forward to the next 10, 15 years in women's hockey uh, to see what these players can do with that opportunity. So um, I just can't wait to see those girls back on the ice. Hopefully sooner rather than later. No, that's for sure. Well, thank oh. you, Sammy, and thank you so been, much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sammy Joe's podcast. If you have suggestions for guests in the future who would like to book her for your next event, advertise on this podcast, or to purchase her latest book, The Role I Played, please go to www.sammyjoesmall.ca.